Ayurveda provides like a really great foundation for, how, for us, how we can live our lives and understand how the world works around us. So it's not, it, although it's yes, like you said, food, herbs, nutrition, the way we live our lives, it's also spiritual in that sense to understand how connected we are to everything and everyone around us. And how can we bring balance in all ways? And how can we work with the cycles of nature to bring balance? Appreciate, don't appropriate The gifts our ancestors did create We're all in this together To understand true wellness better Hello and welcome to Decolonizing Wellness, the podcast a place for people who want to engage in wellness practices with integrity. I'm your host, Jyoti, and I'm the founder of my wellness company, a yoga teacher, menstrual cycle coach, holistic wellness educator, and eternal student. Now, the wellness space is rooted in cultural appropriation, in whitewashing, in westernization, and it's completely disregarded the origins and roots of the wellness practices that it profits from. My own journey of decolonizing wellness and decolonizing my mind has been and continues to be revolutionary. And that's why I've created this podcast, a safe space to explore indigenous wellness practices with the people from the cultures that they originate from. We're going to be delving into the history and roots of the practices, how we can appreciate rather than appropriate, and how, once we know better, we can and must do better. Today's episode is with the incredible Indy, who is a yoga guide and an Ayurvedic practitioner, amongst other things. But before we get into it, I have a little favour to ask. Could you please share this podcast with just one person who you think would be interested? Or perhaps you could rate and review the podcast. Or if you're feeling extra generous, you could do both. It really helps to spread the word about this podcast and we can all work together towards decolonizing wellness. And finally, I just want to say a huge thank you to each and every one of you who listen to the podcast, who have sent me DMs and messages and emails to let me know your thoughts on the episodes and your aha moments. I love hearing from you, so please do keep writing in and enjoy today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Decolonizing Wellness, the podcast. Today I am joined by the lovely Indy. Hi Indy, how are you today? Good, hi, how are you doing Jyothi? Um, I'm really good, thank you. Good, thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited for our conversation. We're going to be talking all about Ayurveda. Um, so it would be great if you could start by just letting the listeners know a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm currently um, a yoga guide as well as an Ayurvedic um, consultant. So lifestyle, nutrition and things like that. So that's the kind of main basis of my work right now. But I'm also a freelancer. So 
um, in marketing, design and things like that. There's lots of different hats I wear. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot to, you know, juggle. <laughs> mm, yeah, I think that's often the way when you go self-employed, you're just like, do everything. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But it's always interesting. It's really varied and always um, an honour to that hold space for people. Mm. So um, that's why I, that's part of the reason why I really enjoy what I do and um, kind of giving giving the space to people to explore things. Mm, yeah, it's so powerful, isn't it? I mean, like holding space for people and then also having space held for you is it's just so powerful. And it, I think sometimes it can seem so simple, um, but you know simplicity is often best I think as humans we overcomplicate a lot of things mm, yeah this is the thing that I find in a lot of um kind of through like through consultations that there's a lot of stripping away of things to be like okay these are the steps that you can take and look how simple they are mm. um just stripping away what we know and what how we complicate things as you just said that you know to live our lives in a more manageable sustainable enjoyable way yes exactly so it would be amazing if you could tell us a little bit about your journey how did you come to you know be being a yoga guide and an ayurvedic practitioner and so on yeah so like um i think it's been a journey of a few years i think so there's been a slow kind of reclamation of my my own roots. So I was, I was born sick um, and that kind of like, it's been in my life forever, but it was like a, as you grow up, obviously in the West, especially, um, you kind of get conditioned in certain ways of being and doing. And part of what happened was that I felt like a distance or a disconnect from my own culture and religion. So there was a lot of like rejection of those things because I was seeing a lot of contradictions and things like that for many years. But over several years, over the last few years, um, it's been a slow returning because it felt like a lot of, like a lot of um, things had like been dismembered basically <laughs> um, in that I had to kind of find my roots, find my, place find my understanding of what I was born into the culture the every, all the things that come with that so it's been a slow returning to that but on my own terms yes and learning and relearning all of what it means um and part of that was obviously all the cultural practices that are prevalent in the in in India and South Asia so part of that was I started to explore yoga once again so I used to it's you know on and off practice and without a teacher and not really knowing what you're doing and why and coming into the studio space was a stark kind of like rude awakening <laughs> and seeing actually there's more to this but no one's telling me what yes and I know there's more to this but why is no one talking about it mm. and obviously on top of that was the fact that there was no one else that looked like me in those studios and places and that felt kind of isolating a little bit, especially when there was words used in Sanskrit or Hindi or something. I was like, I understand, I know what this means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was a lot of that kind of coming through and I was like, I need to learn more about this. Mm. 
I want to really want to learn more about this. And so that's where that whole discovery came back to it. And I just started learning through, you know, with other teachers and just delving a little bit deeper. And that's how this all kind of snowballed. And when the pandemic hit, that was like my chance to be like, right, well, I can, let's do it. <laughs> um, and I knew that it had to be with people that align with my personal values and in terms of that community, social change, giving back and all of those really important things. So that's how I kind of came back to all of this and it's kind of touched my life in so many ways again. And I've grown and developed so much more because of its presence so deeply rooted in my life every day now. And so when I kind of came back to studying and retraining and things like that through yoga, um, it was really, what's the word? Not revelatory, but it just revealed so much more that no one else has ever shared before. And then I could only have done that through immersing myself in all of it. And that's what had the same thing happened with Ayurveda and food and things around aligning ourselves with nourishing ourselves has always been something that I've, that is, that I've cared about. So when I started learning about Ayurveda, I was like, this makes so much sense. <laughs> like it just made sense. Everything made sense to me after this. So that's a long story. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. That was great. Um, and I really resonate with so much of what you said, you know, I'm Hindu Punjabi and just like growing up in a culture where, well, in an, in an area in England where I was pretty much the only person of color in primary school and like not very many in secondary school and really rejecting the culture and then like slowly coming back to it again over the last few years, really been turbocharged over the pandemic and and so on. And it's like you said, I think having these, this like deeper understanding of yoga, of Ayurveda and of these, you know, South Asian modalities or ways of life or, you know, whatever we want to call them is, is such a blessing really. And like you said, when I think when we learn it, it's like, oh, this makes sense because it's it's in our blood, you know, so much of yoga and Ayurveda, like as I start to understand it more, I'm like, oh yeah, my mom always speaks about that, or my daddy or my nanny, and and you know, they don't they don't say Jyoti, this is yoga, Jyoti, this is Ayurveda, but it's just so ingrained into the culture. Um and I think it's really powerful when you when you realize that and it's quite affirming. Um, because I know like for me growing up, because you know, the history that we learn at school and, and the way that we learn things at school, um, you know, you see that it's it's only white people that invent things or that create things or that, you know, mm. start things. So you start to think, oh, like maybe my people aren't, aren't as good. And then you're like, no, like we are. It's just that, you know, we're not written into the history in this country and in many other countries. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's like a really powerful and affirming um journey yeah because there's like there's so many things that we don't consciously understand and when you're delving back into things that are ancestral practices you're like oh <laughs> and it's like it's with it's in our dna and like you said like our our like grandparents parents ancestral like ancestors like elders 
have shared these things with us. And then when you see this, the similar things through relearning, and you're like, oh, this is what this is. And it's so much, it's so kind of like, it always blows my mind whenever I learn more or understand something to do with Ayurveda. I'm like, they knew this already. Yeah, I have the same feeling. <laughs> they they knew it. <laughs> and then it's like, how? But how? Like, what? Like, how? Um, so speaking of Ayurveda, I think here in the UK, like it's becoming more and more popular, I would say, and like mainstream. I think in the US, it's it's been quite mainstream for a little while or a bit more popular from, from what I can understand anyway. Um, and I feel like a lot of people, when they think of Ayurveda, they think of food and they think of the spices. And of course, that's like a part of Ayurveda. It's a part of the way that we that we nourish ourselves, as you said earlier. But Ayurveda is so much more than this. So it would be amazing if you could tell us what is Ayurveda? Yeah, so I can't put it into a word or a sentence. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a big question. <laughs> yeah um so there's there's so much to it like if I go right to, to like the the beginning of it like in the text the text cover so much already in the text you can find the beginnings of surgery they talk about toxicology they talk about the energetics of herbs foods um the energia, so the the rituals of the day the season the year the month like you name it they've covered it so Although food is medicine, according to Ayurveda, and it is, it goes beyond that. How are we having that food? Where is that food grown? How are we consuming herbs? In what form? And are you doing it for the for your your body type or your body and mental? Like, how are you doing it to bring balance to your particular makeup? And that's the thing that's always missing nowadays. I think just with Ayurveda, there's no one size fits all and there never has been but through understanding how we can consume things how things are grown how things are how things work energetically in nature and how they manifest within us and without us is like a really key understanding that's usually missed so for me Ayurveda is a way of life it's more and it overlaps with the sibling science of yoga. And it overlaps also with Jyotish astrology and yeah. also with Vastu. So they are all supposed to be integral. So Ayurveda by itself, one my teacher always says, yoga for the mind, Ayurveda for the body. So mm. such a great way to look at it. And, and isn't that funny? That. Sorry to interrupt you, because in the West, yoga is seen as something for the body. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. No one makes it clear that yoga is for the mind and not the body, really. So Ayurveda provides like a really great foundation for, for us, how we can live our lives and understand how the world works around us. So it's not, it, although it's yes, like you said, food, herbs, nutrition, the way we live our lives, it's also spiritual in that sense to understand how connected we are to everything and everyone around us and how can we bring balance in all ways and how can we work with the cycles of nature to bring balance 
So, yeah, there's, there's not much I could say about that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. And I think you're so right. Like the the emphasis of Ayurveda is on the what and the how, whereas so often we we miss that um, in the West. You know, I was reading something the other day and it it was saying how now in, in the UK, on menus in restaurants, they're going to have to put how many calories are in different things, which I just think is absolutely ridiculous for so many reasons. And partly because just because something's got high calories doesn't mean it's bad for you, but that's what we've been conditioned to think. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, like the, what comes to mind straight away is about like fat content. And so just because something's got high fat content doesn't mean it's bad for you. Mm. It's how will that fat uh, metabolize in your body, in your particular body? Are you someone who's prone to, I don't know, water retention, fluid retention, things like that? Like, yeah, just, it depends. How does, how do you feel your body metabolizes things like that? And so many like people are looking outside of themselves for information of, oh, tell me what I should be eating. Tell me what I should be doing. No, you need to, like, we need to be more connected with our bodies. Mm. Like we're so disconnected and being aware of what our bodies are telling us that it's become really difficult for people to like gauge what, how does my, how does my body metabolize this? How does my body digest? How does my body move and evolve? Mm. So the, the fact that we're having calories is such a ridiculous thing to happen because what might work for some, some person, so for one person will not work for the other yeah and so the calories aren't a catch-all thing mm, absolutely and I think that's the beauty of Ayurveda like you said it's it's so individualized um and that's where it really differs from western medicine um I think absolutely. it's not like a yeah one size fits all and it's not and it, also what I love about Ayurveda is that it really gets to the root of the problem rather than just kind of sticking a plaster on it um, I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, because one other thing that I forgot to add to, as in what I believe to be Ayurveda, is that also alongside all of the food, herbs, lifestyle changes, there's also like the more ritualistic things to help the body, like through using the skin as an organ. So Abhyanga, for example, is a really key like therapy to have or to do for yourself because you use the skin as an organ mm. and to really ground and move into a more and different energetic space just through using oil and touch. Yeah, could you expand on that a little more? So is um, Abhyanga something that like all people of all dosha types can do? Um, is it something you can do in any season and any time of the day? And, and what oil as well should people be using? So oh, you're going to hear this. Yeah, you're going to hear this a lot. Like it depends. Yeah, I was kind of feeling is... you were going to say that. <laughs> um, so it depends. Like for for a younger, for example, if it's it's great to do all over if you can, if you have the time. 
but like some key places are like your um belly button and around that area because mm. um in ayurveda it's believed that that's where life enters and so you have to nourish that point that's where your solar plexus is as well so all of those kind of like things that make us who we are come from that point and so up younger if you had to do nothing else at least do the belly button mm. so all over is great and just helps to kind of bring down any flighty feeling so vata is the one that moves the most it's the one that goes out of balance first so with oil it helps ground and bring it down but depending on like your constitution or body type that's all it's all dependable so mm. but seasonally you would change up oils for example so in the winter you'd want something that's a bit more warming like sesame but in summer you'd want something like something cooling like coconut that's like more general things but um that, like yeah so you can use those daily there's no, absolutely no harm doing it daily so um actually it really helps mm, yeah so, and I found that it really helps me like when I think it was like two days ago I was feeling like quite anxious and just all over the place and I knew it was because in the morning like I didn't move my body I didn't do my journaling I didn't do any like the Nacharya practices except from tongue scraping um and I didn't eat like really nutrition, like a nutritious breakfast, which normally sets me off for the day. Instead, I just had like processed cereal. And I really noticed like as the day went on, the effects that all of these things had on me. So then yesterday morning, I was like, right, I'm gonna do a bianga. I'm going to really like spend some time on this. And it helped so much. And it was, and I, I know that it helps, but sometimes it's nice to be reminded. And I was like, oh yes, this is so powerful. This is what I needed. Um, so yeah, I think, like you said, it, it's so individualized and like having a consultation with a practitioner can be really useful to, to help you understand what you need, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so powerful. Yeah, exactly. Like it's always best to go with someone who, who can advise because it's so individualized. Mm. and like with the the kind of like more therapeutic aspects of Ayurveda there are so many different things like you know Ayurveda isn't bunch of, just bunch of karma either yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> like it's not just bunch of karma there's like so many different things and it, how you can use each of those therapies that are involved in bunch of karma they are single karmas as well so you can use just one don't have to do a bunch of grammar just to say you've done it you know um and it's not a detox that's the other misconception it's not like it's intense it's very intense if you do if you're someone who's fit and able to take those therapies it's very intense it's still intense mm, so for anyone listening that doesn't know like what the bunch of karma are or the nacharya could you elaborate a little more on on these yeah so like bancha karma is like um bunch of five karma actions so they're usually five treatments that are intensely cleansing of the body internally and externally so they're they kind of um cleanse through like enemas but you have like, constant massages so to help the like what what the idea behind Panchakarma is you 
start to prepare the body to bring all the doshas to their home seats. So like the, the home for vata is the colon, for example. So you, you, you prepare the body to bring them all back and then you cleanse them out. And so through like enemas, so like oil enemas, water enemas, so they're not pretty <laughs> either. Um, so, you know, oil into the anal canal, for example, and that helps to cleanse everything out of the colon. And that usually happens towards the end of Panchakarma. And like more traditional treatments that we can't do in this country because of legality. So like bloodletting, um, that's another Panchakarma. So they're intense treatments to specifically help the doshas cleanse all over. Um, and, not, and it's not for everyone either. So if you've got a chronic health condition, it's highly likely that you probably won't be able to do it. Um, but you can slowly do one garma and have a break kind of thing. So you can do one, have a break and look after yourself and then do another one, that kind of thing. So it's not necessary to do it all in one go. So I know there's all these like trips that people take to have a bunch of garma in South India or whatever <laughs> they do. Like, but this, it's not for everyone. And so Dinajaya, on the other hand, is what we do daily. And those rituals that help keep us on track and as much balance as possible in the day itself. And so the cyclical nature of our days, so with sunrise and sunset, that's traditionally and classically how we would work, going by sunrise, sunset. Obviously in our modern lives, it doesn't work that way. But in the Nigeria, you start, you set up your day through your cleansing and purifying and energizing in the morning through your consistent and steady meals and then preparing and relaxing before sleep mm. and having a consistent routine the consistency aspect is so important and I know it's very difficult sometimes but the consistency aspect is the key thing to bring us back to balance and I know routine can be boring for some people that's fine <laughs> And obviously with the seasons, the routines change as well. So it's mm. all, it's all, yeah, moves through as it needs to. Yeah. So what are some things you can do to help you prepare for sleep? I feel like we see a lot about morning routines and things to do in the morning, but I feel like people speak less about sleeping and then, but so many of us struggle to sleep. So yeah, what are some, what are some practices that people could use perhaps? Yeah, there's, um, I mean, the key thing is obviously like most of us, I, I might be generalizing, but we don't sleep as early as we should. <laughs> so yeah, even the days are split into doshas as well. And so in the evening is when, obviously after the sun has gone, that kind of heat and warmth has gone. And then it's time to slow down and, become still so after that our digestion isn't what it was in the daytime and so eating late is a key thing that sometimes obviously can't be helped but ideally eating as early as you can 6 7 p.m and then starting to slowly prepare yourself for sleep because obviously now we have to understand that we we are in front of screens all the time so screens are a thing that we have to deal with <laughs> and manage if we can in the evenings but starting to kind of 
slow down the sensory activations that we have. So screens being a key thing. Look at something else, so read, um, ignite the other senses rather than just the eyes. The eyes get fatigued so much and that's mm. where heat, that's where bitta is. And so bringing that kind of balance through that, so decreasing sensory activation, preparing yourself by not eating so late if possible. And, and like an ideal time to sleep is between nine to 10 o'clock, which is pretty early for many people, but it's, or at least trying to prepare, slow down. So bringing yourself physically to be comfortable, to be soothed, to be um, relaxed. So even if that means you just head to your bedroom, yeah <laughs> and like a key thing to really help the mind if you have trouble sleeping is a a foot massage very quick a few minutes just before you go to sleep to really help soothe the mind and ease and that's a key practice that I give so many clients like mm. massage your feet before you go to sleep and it's like a nice way to bring self-touch into it and to bring like a caring feeling towards yourself you know that you don't that you might not have had and our feet are so underloved sometimes yeah um and so bringing that together before you sleep helps to really ease the mind mm, thank you for sharing those yeah I like to sleep I like to head up like eight thirty nine and be asleep by 10 but everyone thinks I'm like some grandma <laughs> and I'm like no but but also I know notice that that's what my body needs um, if I go to bed much later, like the next day is just, well, I'm just scrambling through, to be honest. Um, but of course, like it feels you said, really off, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's about doing the best that we can, given given our lifestyles and our jobs and things. Um, but yeah, consistency as well is is key. Um, so this. Uh, podcast is called Decolonizing Wellness, of course, and it would be great to talk a little bit about how Ayurveda has been colonized and how it's been or being appropriated, um, yeah, across across the West. Yeah, uh, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> Another big question for you. <laughs> where do I start with that one? But. Like we know that Ayurveda, when it was being practiced and under colonial rule, it was banned. Mm. And I'm pretty sure most um, others of your guests might have said, might tell you the same story as like through colonial rule is when it all became banned and not allowed. And so we lost so much through that. Not everything was lost, of course, but a lot was lost. So bringing that back and still practicing it was kind of miraculous to be honest but and then as as it got I mean I would call it modern day colonization in the form that what we're seeing now in how Ayurveda and the knowledge of it is being shared by non-indigenous practitioners is a form of colonization to be honest because it's it's being made to be put into boxes Mm. same with dosha so like doshas for example are like three boxes <laughs> and they're being made to like oh which one which box do you fit yeah. when actually 
we're all made up of the all three doshas just varying amounts of it mm. and that's the thing that kind of I'm seeing get lost a little bit in translation and through and not everyone is kind of taking the time to learn directly from the text themselves as well and so understanding like it's not you don't have to be a Sanskrit expert to understand but going to someone who you know brings that knowledge from the source at least and so when what, what we're seeing the way that we're seeing Ayurveda being shared and appropriated is by putting people in boxes again yet again and I don't know making it kind of like a criteria mm. and like diluting it down to just food just herbs just like you know separating them all out but actually in a court in they they all work together like you have to have all of that for it yeah. to work or a little bit of everything for it to give you some benefit and then it gets complicated because people are like this is too much mm. it can be simple and it is you just make those changes slowly and slowly you introduce things slowly and slowly but that's not the case in what we're seeing now and obviously the other appropriation on top of that is when there's brands coming out selling like the gunsa wand or the their version of a ashwagandha coffee and things like that so like it's like okay what we what we're doing here so there's a lot of like mishmashes of things that are coming out and it's like this is this is this coming from appropriation and kind of profiting off things or is it coming from something that you know works and is true to the source yes I mean one of like my pet peeves is seeing turmeric in everything <laughs> literally everything I'm like for goodness sake or like you said ashwagandha everyone's like oh this is a magical herb that's going to fix everything and I don't even know what else even like um oil pulling I remember when that became a really big thing even though again that's something that's been done for centuries um and oil massage, like I'm sure this is true for you. Like every, for me, every week, every Saturday, my mom would put oil in my hair. I'd sleep with it on, wash it out the next day. And, you know, we were ridiculed for it and teased and, and so on. And now everyone's doing it. And obviously that's great because it, it's so good for you to, to give your, you know, to put oil in your hair and so on. But yeah, it's just funny how I guess things come around full circle yeah there's like so many things like you said like yeah hair oiling is like a thing that if you're south asian or indian you've done this a lot <laughs> this is a childhood thing and now that it's coming into like it's a, bit, it's a bit trendy everything's like trendy yes and it's like it's not a trend this has been done for so many years and just because it's now in the mainstream it's a thing and who gets to decide that and who makes it popular? Mm. And obviously we're not really seeing the people from the source being uplifted like that. And that's what's, how, who's made it popular? How has it been made popular? 
not by our cultures and communities originally. And so in some cases, not even being attributed to South Asia. Yes. I'm not even being shared that this actually comes from Ayurveda or whatever the practice might be. It's like, okay, this, this, this you're completely stripping things away. And if you don't understand that, you know, Ayurveda is a science, is a medicinal system, medicine. And so just as you would be careful with Western medicine, why would you not, why would you be so careless with Ayurveda? Because mm. food is medicine in Ayurveda. The herbs are using medicinally. All the preparations and formulations are medicinal, remedial. And so we're seeing, you know, like you said, turmeric, haldi just thrown into everything. <laughs> and same with ashwagandha lately as well. So ashwagandha coffee is like, that's a really bad combination. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to ask, like, should should people be eating these things all the time? Like, well, I know the answer is no, but if you'd like, <laughs> let us know, like, you know, in terms of, obviously there's the dosha types, certain people shouldn't be having certain things and, you know, too much of anything is not good for you either. Exactly, exactly. And like, if herbs are medicinal in Ayurveda, even herbs, like they're not taken lifelong. They're not taken all your life. You take them whenever you need them or if you're out of balance or something needs to be corrected. So ashwagandha is actually, if you don't know exactly why you're taking it and what it is and what it does, it can be really dangerous. And it can really trigger or bring about changes that you don't want in your body. Mm. And so depending on like your condition of your nervous system, your digestion, your kind of internal makeup, and if you're not someone who's kind of relatively imbalanced like that's probably the case for pretty much everyone but it can really like be have an adverse effect on you and so it's always advisable with any herbs like go to someone and ask go to someone who knows about them or is a practitioner or someone ask like is, is this the right thing for me to be taking and why because mm. chances are probably not or if you do how much of it are you taking and when because that plays a part in it too when are you consuming it in the day how are you consuming it because the formulations all come in oil key um water in with another herb you know those kind of formulations they're made specifically for different reasons and different ailments so it's always best to go with someone to ask about it yeah and i i wonder if like people listening everyone would be aware that you know you get Ayurvedic practitioners but you also get Ayurvedic doctors and kind of the the distinction between the two um could you go into that a little bit yeah so the, the Ayurvedic doctors are called Vedyas it's quite a, a common term for doctor um so an Ayurvedic Vedya is someone who is basically the equivalent of a doctor I would say if you're studying in India especially you're seen as a doctor um and they definitely have deep knowledge on the formulations of things how when why who and those are the types of people that would kind of help more chronic conditions more deep mm. and long-standing conditions and so as Ayurvedic consultants and practitioners 
there is so much we can do, but if it's a chronic, long-standing, deep-rooted condition, the doctors would be the best for that. So there are changes you can bring about. There are changes that can happen just through working with a consultant or practitioner because they will advise you on your lifestyle, any kind of food you're consuming, herbs that you can take daily or for a certain amount of time, any other practices that will support your conditions or your health concerns. But anything that's like more of an advanced or chronic condition, a doctor would help be able to help you with that. Mm, thank you for explaining that. So we've kind of touched on some of the ways that Ayurveda is appropriated and, and things. So how can we appreciate Ayurveda and really honour the roots of where it comes from? It's similar to the way I think about yoga in terms of take the time. So take, if it's something that you're with any cultural practices, if it's not from a, a practice that's from your own culture, take the time to understand what is exactly is this? Why am I doing it? And ultimately, do I need to? <laughs> so understanding that if you're taking this herb, why are you taking it? Do you know exactly what it's going to do to you? And all these other practices like the gunsa facial thingies and those kind of like, you know, all these practices, rituals, like, do you know exactly why they exist? So taking the time to understand that and learn, ideally from someone from the source culture in why they exist and how to do them properly. But I also would, on the other hand, say, you don't have to just go to one person there like your encyclopedia. I would definitely work with one or two people to understand because everyone will share it in a different way. The knowledge itself has never changed. The, the text, how they tell you to practice and things have never changed and they never will. It's the difference here is how other practitioners or consultants or doctors might share it with you. So that's the only thing I would advise is to work with maybe one or two people, understand how they're advising and sharing with you and just to learn yourself, go and learn yourself as well. There's so much knowledge out there. Well, exactly. We there's literally at our fingertips, isn't it? So I feel like we have no excuses anymore. Yeah, yeah. It can get confusing, but the, the key is find a common thread. What are I don't know if you're going to do a Google search? What are the ten people that you found information from? What is the common thread here? Mm. Thanks, Indy. And if the listeners would like to connect with you and learn from you, which I encourage all of them to do so. Um, where can they find you? Um, yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm currently best places to email or on Instagram <laughs> where I share various things. Um, on I read yoga, the appropriation and things like that. So um, on Instagram, you can find me at indie.wellness. And you can email me at indie at indiewellness.co.uk. I-N-D-I-E. Amazing. I'll pop them in the notes as well so people can get to them easily. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. It's been so great to speak to you and I have learned a lot and I'm sure everyone listening has as well. Thank you so much, Indy. 
Well, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode and learned as much as I did. I would love to hear your top takeaways, your aha moments, or any thoughts and reflections. You can message me on Instagram at mywellnesscompany. You can email me hello at mywellnesscompany.co.uk or you can leave me a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash Jothi Chadder. I really would love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could make sure you're subscribed and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, friends, stay curious, keep asking questions and keep taking up space. Looking at the roots on trees, not just eating fruit and taking the seeds. Appreciate, don't appropriate the gifts our ancestors did create. We're all